Welcome to Women's Voices Amplified, the podcast from the Brown Women's Network, where we talk with Brunonian changemakers about making an impact in their communities and beyond. I'm Lauren Brown, a current senior at Brown University concentrating in business and entrepreneurship. And in this episode, I'll be speaking with entrepreneur Jennifer Gomez, who received her undergraduate degree in 2008 in political science. I knew from a young age that I couldn't play small, you know, given a lot of the sacrifices that my mom and, and my community undertook. You know, I'm a first-generation American and from, you know, my mom. I came from a single-parent household, and so, you know, it, I didn't know I wanted to be a boss, but I knew that I needed to do something to kind of pay it back, pay forward. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Lauren. Excited to be here, too, and to unpack and chat with you as well. Let's go ahead and dive in. I'd love to start with your career journey and how Brown impacted that. So I'd love to know, while at Brown, you studied political science and then you went on to work with MLB and Time Incorporated. How did those past educational experiences at Brown and those career experiences in the earlier parts of your career, how did that impact um, and prepare you for entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, poli sci really, I was, as you mentioned, I was a political science major and poli sci really gave me an insight on how the world worked. Right. You know, cyclical patterns and systems that, you know, governments and communities and individuals use to get a particular outcome. And, you know, how we in our most primal versions of ourselves, like, you know, make decisions out of fear and survival and scarcity. Right. And so. I learned that in political science amongst, you know, amongst many other things. But those were kind of learnings that uh, that, you know, were highly beneficial throughout my careers. Right. Uh, especially at Major League Baseball, where I was, you know, worked at the international team and I was securing deals across Latin America. So a lot of those a lot of those learnings came into effect then. But but actually, you know, MLB wasn't my first it was my first official job, but I had actually been interning at organizations before that during high school and, and especially during my Brown and my Brown summers. So I was at Bloomberg LP. Uh, I worked at Time Warner. I was at People in Espanol. And then for kind of half of my time at Brown, I was at L'Oreal. And, and I was actually their first undergraduate intern and, you know, helped pave kind of open the door for college students coming in the future summers. So that that was a huge learning. But, you know, all, all of these steps were major kind of learning and building blocks for me. And I learned, you know, different sides of, of the marketing umbrella, but also, you know, inefficiencies and best practices on how to run a company and how to create effective company culture and manage teams. So, you know, all of these experiences from Brown onward, were, were, you know, fundamental in, in building, you know, what I am building today. Yeah, that's amazing. And and to your point about sort of paving the way for, for other students, I'm just curious, throughout that journey, did you always know that you wanted to be your own boss? Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Or how did that even get started? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I knew from a young age that I couldn't play small, you know, given... Uh, a lot of the sacrifices that my mom and, and my community undertook. You know, I'm a first generation American from, you know, my mom. I came from a single 
single um, parent household. And so, you know, it, I didn't, I didn't know I wanted to be a boss, but I knew that I needed to do something to kind of pay it back, pay forward. Uh, and so, you know, my initial aspirations were actually very different. You know, I wanted to trial war criminals uh, for the UN. And then when reality set in, obviously that didn't happen. But, you know, it didn't really dawn on me about being my own boss until later in my career where I was pretty disillusioned with corporate culture. And, and then I had my daughters. So they really were kind of the impetus of, you know, considering b- creating something on my own and being, you know, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just curious, you know, I talk with a lot of student entrepreneurs all the time who are interested in entrepreneurship, but are trying to figure out how to get involved. And so I'm curious, what advice would you give to someone who's eager to break into entrepreneurship? So many pieces of advice, but I, I think an essential one is knowing your why. You know, the way that your business will manifest, you know, can look very differently at different points, right? You're constantly evolving and learning, taking on, you know, new insights, and that's informing kind of the direction of your business. But knowing fundamentally your why, and then asking it over and, you know, yourself over and over again, you know, periodically is is important, right? That's your true north. That's how you stay grounded. And if you don't know, you know, then what is, what helps kind of shape it for me sometimes is what's the outcome, right? What's the outcome of that dream of what or what you're building? Is it security? Is it generational wealth? Is it, what is it, right? Who, who, who are you impacting? And then what blockers are preventing you from, 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 from that road, right? From, from that outcome. Mm-hmm. The other piece to this is do the work, <laughs> you know, don't wait on anyone to do it for you. There are tons of free resources out there. You don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel at the beginning. You just need to a proof of concept right at first. And perfectionism is literally the killer of good ideas. So just put it out there, you know, and then start doing the work and being resourceful and and don't be afraid to, to fail or be messy in the beginning. It, it's supposed to be that way. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from, from the founder of LinkedIn. And he says, you know, if, if you aren't embarrassed by your first product, then you've launched too late, right? The, the idea of, you know, kind of propagating the narrative that this is a journey. It's a process of optimization. You're not supposed to get it right. In fact, that's the antithesis of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to want it to fail, you know, not to fail, but you you want all the kinks. You want to work through all those things before you, you know, introduce it to the masses, right? Because that's you, that's you optimizing and making your, your concept and your product and your business better. So embracing those mistakes. And I think the last piece is really find your community. I'm, I'm huge, huge on community. Um, community for mentorship, for advice, for support. Uh, you know, you can start with your immediate circles. Brown has been an endless kind of fountain of resources for me, you know, personally and professionally and, and in my entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, 
you need your circle founder friends and people who kind of understand that journey is overwhelming at times. And so you're dealing with so many demons you had no idea existed, right? Those are things coming into your conscious, out of your subconsciousness when you're building a business. And so having those, those key figures, those friends, those founders, founder friends to kind of ground you is, is very, very important part of the journey. So that's it. I mean, commit, be disciplined and have follow through. And that's it. Mm. I love it. That, that really resonated with me. And I, I agree that community is usually a huge part of that building experience. Also, because you're under a lot of pressure, you're constantly putting pressure on yourself to, to do cool things and to make great solutions. But your first try is never going to be perfect. And I am definitely a perfectionist myself. So <laughs> I, I take that advice to heart. Um, Don't do it, Lauren. Don't do it. <laughs> but to that end, let's talk a little bit about your company. You have a company, it's called OneKin, and it's a cura- curated online marketplace that's aimed at showcasing small businesses of color. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what your inspiration was for starting OneKin and what need is it fulfilling? Yeah, that. You know, we, so my business partner, Marvin Francois and I, you know, we're incredibly passionate about building and investing in disenfranchised communities and, you know, leveraging technology to help solve for a lot of these wealth and opportunity gaps. So our our focus on small businesses is, is very strategic. And it's really based on this fundamental belief that small businesses are a reflection of, you know, the ingenuity of their respective communities, you know, and by providing them with tech solutions to grow that we're really empowering them to to have community level impact, right? And essentially affect widespread, widespread socioeconomic change. So, you know, we know it's been demonstrated communities flourish when small businesses flourish and, and for BIPOC business owners, you know, they act as economic spigots in their neighborhoods, right? The pandemic delivered a really hard blow to this demographic and those consequences. And and their erasure really comes with consequences like losses of, like loss of jobs, you know, community development, economic opportunities. So our first product launch, our first kind of consumer facing product was a curated marketplace, online marketplace for BIPOC retailers. And that was really predicated on you know, the lack of visibility that small, like that BIPOC businesses had in spaces like Amazon or, you know, in retail in general. And so, you know, now there's, after 2020, you know, the the, the racial reckoning and awareness and move, you know, all these movements. Now there's conversation, right? Widespread conversations that these organizations are doing and you have initiatives like the 15% pledge and, that, that are that are encouraging and pushing uh, organizations to diversify their offerings. But when we launched the marketplace, there weren't too many places where you can find BIPOC businesses, small businesses, and learn their stories, right? That storytelling was a big piece of ours because so much of appeal of these small businesses was their their consciousness, their journey, their craftsmanship, all these things. And so we wanted that we were very intentional about integrating their stories and their identities and, you know, all these layers into the marketplace. And then during that time, you know, we, again, learned so much of the pain points around small businesses, their, their selling cycles, their, you know, their, their needs as the world change. 
So that really informed our latest product, uh, One Can Live. So it's a live stream app for shopping small and local businesses. And that 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 really was inspired by, again, what witnessing what our peers in China were doing, right, with live stream shopping. Mm-hmm. And but also seeing observing how consumers and small businesses all took to, to live stream during during COVID to create that connection and to try to, you know, sell their products. We're doubling down on storytelling and the small businesses can connect directly with consumers across the country. I would love to go back to talking about you as a founder and how your identity coincides with your entrepreneurial journey so far. So as a woman of color in this position of power, There can be a lot of pressure to overperform, as I'm sure you know, and to be resilient. So I'd love to know how you combat those pressures and what advice you have for women of color on how to show up in professional settings as their most authentic and true selves. Wow, what a loaded question, Lauren, but I appreciate it. Uh, No, you know, my identity has always been a huge and important part of who I am. You know, there, there are spaces you know, in my younger career, my earlier career, certainly uh, in high school when I was, I went to boarding school where I thought I needed to to tone down kind of my otherness, you know, not, and not, not at all because of shame, but so that I would be taken seriously, you know, or so that I would be more palatable to others who don't necessarily look like me. You know, hair is a is a crucial example, I think, for every woman of color. And (laughs) exactly, you know, I don't want you to be distracted by my curly hair, right? I want you to hear and value what I'm saying. And so that played out in me straightening my hair and blow drying it and, you know, killing my my poor curls. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm much more intentional about being as present as possible and honoring what authenticity comes up in every moment, you know, or, uh, and, and, and a lot of that is me leading with my gender and my identity and, and spaces that I'm in because so often there aren't people who look like me in these spaces. And so the pressure piece, <laughs> it's always there, you know, I, to get over it, I would say family, friends, prayer and meditation, that, like, that's it. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the latter question of, of advice I have to, to, um, to younger professionals and showing up authentically in, in their, in their workspaces, you know, I, I, a good friend of mine, Jody Ann Beery did this amazing Ted talk. It's called the myth of bringing your full authentic self to work. And it's really, she pushes back on this narrative where companies tell and invite women and specifically women of color, you know, to bring their, their actual, you know, their full authentic selves to work. And there are actual ramifications, you know, in terms of promotions and in terms of equal pay, in terms of you being dubbed difficult to work with. You know, we know that there are so many layers when it comes to being, you know, what does authenticity mean? Authenticity in these spaces in corporate doesn't necessarily mean authenticity me. There's a different, there's a different mold that you're, you're fitting. And so being authentic when it is counterculture, counter that mold can be very perilous for the growth of 
women of color and, and, and even women, you know, in, in, in predominantly male spaces. So my advice is lead with excellence and follow through, period, baseline. That's it. And if you feel safe in your work environments to be that full authentic self, then that's beautiful. That's amazing. Lean into it because there's so much value in that. If you don't, then are there opportunities for you to create that, you know, in, in the, in that workspace? And by that, I don't mean, you know, take on the burden yourself and solve the problems of, of, of corporate, you know, it's more so take action and creating community in what you, in, in, in the spaces that you operate in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as a student, that's, that's helpful advice, you know, especially as we always have these career fairs and companies talking to us and, you know, trying to recruit saying, we want you to bring your authentic selves. We're a great place. It's our culture is so inclusive, but you make an excellent point in that, you know, are we talking about our, our, our true authentic selves or are we just talking about the authentic self that has that corporate places have made room for a little bit? Just, just a little bit of room. But speaking of, of younger people and students, I'm, I'm curious to hear about your journey to motherhood and how being a mother has impacted the way you see the world, the way you see even entrepreneurship. And what sort of lessons have you embraced over the past few years that you hope to, to teach your children? So I, I think motherhood prepared me for entrepreneurship. It was actually the best crash course when it comes to being resourceful and troubleshooting nonstop, right? Um, being compassion, compassionate and, and patient, you know, and the messiness of it all and being okay with not, you know, you're right now, you're giving your 100%, but that 100% may be 20% of what you normally give and being okay with, with that, Right. And, and forgiving yourself. So all of those things I learned through through motherhood and, and resilience, a lot of it. So those are all tenants and 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 things that I want my daughters to 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 learn, you know. And I do this thing with my my oldest when I walk her to school every day. We share three things and it could be three things we're we love about ourselves, three things we're excited about, three, three experiences that day that impacted us either positively or negatively, or we just like three things that were important in that day. And I talk about entrepreneurship and partnership. And I'm like, you know, I had this pitch meeting and, and I'm telling her, <laughs> I'm talking to her as I, as I would an adult. And, and I stopped and I'm like, do you know what entrepreneur is? Like, do you know what a partnership is? What are pitch meetings? And she literally verbatim kind of told me web, Webster, like <laughs> dictionary definitions of what a partnership is. And I'm like, who are you? And then, you know, it's just a realization that so much, it's not so much of what I'm teaching her, but it's what she's, she's observing. That's part of that, that learning journey. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful journey to be able to do both in tandem. It's very hard, but they're one informs the other and they both make me better at both the both roles that I play. And the pressure that I feel now really is what legacy am I leaving behind, you know, for them and then creating as many opportunities as them as possible. 
so that they're like the most obnoxiously audacious and fearless women on on the planet. That is my goal. (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) All right, let's bring it back to your Brown journey because this all starts somewhere, right? Just curious as our as our closing question, you know, how has Brown impacted your entrepreneurial journey so far? And specifically, what lessons did you learn at Brown, either you know, socially or academically, that you still carry with you today? Some of my most prized memories were conversations in the classrooms at Brown. And, you know, I really learned how to listen. Uh, to other people with varying opinions, listening to to feedback and and to the market and and that informing my my uh, business decisions, but two in my relationships with people, community as I mentioned is 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 a big part of who I am, but also what I try to propagate and create everywhere I go. And Brown really kind of opened up that that idea that community is everywhere, can be created everywhere, and even in the most unlikely of places and people, you know, gosh, I think about, you know, my conversations in like my African literature class with Professor Dennison or like political theory with, you know, Professor Tomasi, Alan Zuckerberg was one of my favorite teachers at Brown. I took a course with him, Palestine and, and Israeli conflict. Years, I'm talking years ago now, and um, and he passed away, which was a very sad moment for me. But you know, I'm in a class with people who have a stake in either side of the conversation, right? And then there's this Dominican from Brooklyn who's just happy to be here and like wanting to have conversations. <laughs> you know, I have no stake in the game, so I, you know, I'm, I'm there to learn and to offer my kind of objective opinion, but. We, we lost so much of that now. You know, the country's very fragmented and we forgot how to have conversations amongst ourselves and with people who don't, um, you know, who don't come from the same kind of line of thinking that we do. And I think it's important as as we move forward into the future that we that we learn how to listen and and listen to each other and, and converse again, you know. So, so that's a big piece. And Brown is still very much... In my everyday life, I'm still best of friends with friends that I had freshman year. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Jennifer. We so appreciate you chatting with us. I love having this time with you. And I'm excited to hear more about what's next for you and Onekin. Thank you so much. And best of luck to you too, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Women's Voices Amplified podcast. For more episodes like this, be sure to listen and subscribe. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Brown University.